whole entire life. podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio today is a gentleman that I am excited to introduce, David Spivey Jr. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Very, very appreciate it. All right. So we kind of put this one together on short notice, and listen, when John Orlando calls and says, man, I have someone that you have to meet, like you drop everything (laughs) and you come running. So literally I did like, man, I was excited to, to be able to come in here, touch base with you while you're in town. Cause you're not originally from Las Vegas. Where are you from? So originally from Jackson, Mississippi, moved to Los Angeles, California. So raised in Los Angeles. So LA is where I call home. LA is still home today. Today. Well, awesome. I'm grateful that we have you here live in person in the studio um, because this pretty, pretty beautiful studio here, right? No, most definitely. This is like dream come true. Yeah, this is the place, man. So you and I really haven't had any conversations. No, we zero. got introduced via text. John Orlando calls, says, man, I have an amazing individual. He's got an incredible story. So I'm going to really turn it over and leave it to you to kind of paint the picture here, open things up. What is this amazing story? So this amazing story really is, and I love the fact what your intro was. I was like, wow, that's like my story in a nutshell. Um, At 15, joined a gang. By the age of 17, arrested for murder, um, attempted murder, shooting occupied dwelling, and later add charge with a conspiracy to commit first degree murder. And fought my case for a couple of years, 2010, get found guilty, get sentenced, go to prison uh, with that, the 2nd of uh, December. My mother dies January 18th, the following mm-hmm. year. Then my brother dies next year. I'm in Pelican Bay. You know, I'm just thinking to myself. Pelican Bay, state prison. Yes, sir. Okay. And um, all I'm thinking to myself is like, Wow, my mom and brother's last years on earth, I spent in jail for something that doesn't mean anything, something that has no value. You know, um, during my transformation, I used to tell guys, you can be a Crip blood or a Sorreño for 30, 40 years, and that means nothing in the bank. You know, you can never go in there and you can't get a loan on street cred. So what are you doing it for? You know, you're doing everything. Everybody always says how much they hate jail. Yet they do everything in their possibility. Like, let me go. Let me just, I know I'm not supposed to sell drugs. I'm going to do that. No, I'm not supposed to be shooting people, but I'm going to do that. I know I should, whatever it is, they do it. And then they go to jail and they're crying about it. And, you know, I was the guy in there. Didn't have remorse for my victim immediately. Anytime I was ever sad, it was only because I wanted to be home. You know, it wasn't because I was like, oh, what I did was bad. It was like, man, I don't want to be in jail no more. So when my mom died, I was in a reception center. I was in a Tracy, California, in a, with the DVI, dual vocational institution. And she died, and I remember breaking down crying, and my counselor told me, don't let your mother's death be in vain. Mm. She said, do you know what I mean by that? I said, no, just break it down to me. She says, 
The whole time your mom was alive, you made her cry. Make her smile beyond the grave. Next day I signed up for my GED, got a GED in two days. These guys I was in prison with for hold, two hold, hold on, hold on. How'd you get a GED in two days? So they offered the so you do, I think, with one part of the test in one day, and then the math, you come back and do it the next day. You but, literally just went in there and yeah. they let you take them both. Because I know in a lot of places, like you got to get on a waiting list. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's a year just to get in a class, to get in line to take the test. And you were able to knock it out just like that. Yeah. So when uh, what was it? Uh, they came around with like, anybody want to get a GED? And this is right after I had got the news. So I said, yeah, I signed up. So we had to take a math te a pretest to see if we can qualify for this expedited um, GD testing. I scored just enough on the math to pass. And so I went in there and took the GD and, and passed it in two days. And, wow. And which was like really a super blessing because it allowed me not to have to, when I got to Pelican Bay State Prison, I didn't have to get put in education. A lot of guys go have to go to education. And even getting on that list, like you said, it's really, really difficult sometimes. And you can be ready for a year. It's like, well, there's three, four guys in front of you. And so that allowed me to, and also like my reading level was 12.9. And um, so it allowed me to be a clerk, get on the clerk's list. Now, now explain what that means. For those who don't understand, <laughs> that's pretty significant as well. Yeah, though, like clerks usually make really good, uh, I say really good, Prison money, you know, those are the pay to start off like 42 cents, you know, and I know it sounds so crazy. People are crying about making $15, yeah. but in prison, 42 cents, you're like, okay, I can go to store. You know, I can buy food, I can buy hygiene, I can do whatever I want to do. You can survive. Yeah, and then usually clerk uh, jobs are always near copy machines and office supplies. And those are like gold on the yard. Which means what? what More money. So there you, go. you have opportunities to do copies, canteen. Uh, and sometimes you barter for even better things, you know. Um, I knew a guy. He, this guy was really, really handy. So he's always, he was a Muslim guy. He's always asked me for paper clips. So one day I was like, what are you? I gave him a box one time for free. And he's like, hey, can you give me some more? And I was like, what are you using for he was making uh, Afro picks. Really? Yeah. Out of paper clips. Out of paper clips. And he also used them as uh, plugs. So he could uh. he would get he would get soda cans and bust them open. Cause yeah, on this super high maximum security prison, they sold soda cans <laughs> that you could literally cut somebody's throat. And I, I mentioned that because I had a pair of uh Dolce Gabbana glasses my mother gave me for a birthday present. And they had like a little metal right here and they took it from me. And I'm like, dude, you got to have horseshoes and soda cans here. I'm not going to break my glasses to stab somebody. And so he would uh, open the cans up and make um, like the little extra plugs. Yep, yep. And and it was like, it was so crazy. It And uh, just being in jail, you really see how much lost potential was inside. Mm. You know, I've met some guys who can fix anything that is broken. They can enhance it. Anything that's electrical, they can fix it up. I know guys that can look at you and do a portrait and add stuff to it. They can put you and your wife in it or something like that. And it's like, and you're just, how much time you got? Oh, man, you know, I got five licenses. 
what the f- oh yeah i got life without so tell, tell me about that if you met all these people in prison with so much talent so much potential why would you say like what are your thoughts how did they end up there why why is there so much in those environments my personal belief is this right um a lot of a lot of people that come that are, that are in prison come from broken neighborhoods and broken neighborhoods have no resources and so just because of a socioeconomic status most people are forgotten about in this country you know and to say that i also want to just caveat that with it doesn't make an excuse for doing a crime because there's also people who've risen to the top from those same neighborhoods but for the most part it's easier to say F it and just give up and take what's uh, in front of you. You know, no matter what your true desires are. And uh, I knew this because when I was in prison on my road to redemption and rehabilitation, I started not only just uh, going to self-help classes, but I started teaching them. I was a facilitator. Okay. And I was like, the way the rock works out all the time is the way that I was studying self-help all the time. All in right. the cell, on the yard, you know, talking about it at work, going back to groups, you know. Um, I did this I did this exercise, and I had everybody raise their hand and tell me what they wanted to be before they ever joined the gang. And you got guys with tattoos all on their faces. Man, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a fireman. And one guy says, man, excuse me for this, homies, but I used to want to be a cop. And, you know, one guy, I wanted to be an architect. And I'm just listening to him. And so I'm asking him, this is what you wanted to be. So this was you at your truest form. How did you go from this to this deplorable person? And once you figure that out, now the next step is, how did you get back to that essence? Mm. Because in that essence, you you see things pure. You see things optimistically rather than pessimistically. Because when you become deplorable, everything is either against you, not fair. It's every oh my gosh, it's just a woe is me syndrome. Sure. Well, you getting to that point to where you're helping others see that, obviously that means you yourself went through that transition. So how did you go from, you know, your own introspective journey and, and becoming more self-aware to then working with others? So for me, it was... um. The first step was uh, when I was in Pelican Bay State Prison, getting closer to God. You know, my mom always say, when you don't know what to do, go to God. So I had to get my relationship with God correct. I had to start allowing him to lead me instead of me trying to be the leader. Because as I always tell people, my best thinking led me to squat in the coffin. And for those who don't know, squatting in the coffin is how they search you when they're doing the cell search. You know, you squat down like a catcher. And you give them three good coughs to make sure nothing is in your rectum. Sorry for that descriptive, but I feel you guys need to know. No, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to explain that because a lot of times we gloss right over the prison stuff. Right. Like, you know, there's just like a mutual understanding. Like, I know what you're talking about, right. but I want to make sure everybody else. And it's important that people recognize because there are certain aspects of prison that are just totally dehumanizing. Exactly. And then we wonder why so many of us coming out struggle, <laughs> you know what I mean? To reacclimate to normal society. So it's important that you explain things like this. Right. I appreciate that. No problem, man. Um, 
So that's what I said. Like, dude, my best thinking, my most million dollar idea was now is a result squad and coffin. And so I'm like, it's time to change the way I think. So I started getting to the Bible. Then I, uh, my points, I dropped some points. My custody level dropped. So I went from a level four prison to a level three. So um, what's the difference there? A four to a three? J- three yards usually have more uh, programming, just more of open openness. Because on a level four, I was on a one eighty. So there's a one eighty then a two seventy, and that's based off design. The one eighty is built like a horseshoe, and then the two seventy is like kind of more so. Kind of uh, 270 degrees, folks. I'm trying to think of how, how it looks, but yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. weird. And uh, the 180s are like really, really restrictive. Those, like, as a prison would say, the the worst of the worst, the most mm-hmm. of the deplorables, you know? And uh, 270s is like, you're still not really good, but you're not as bad as these guys. And then level three is, we don't really trust you like that, but we'll give you a little bit more things to do. <laughs> you go to a level two, it's like, just understand we'll never trust you, but here's even more stuff to do. And then a level one is like, I don't trust you, but I don't think you're dumb enough to mess this off. I, I love your explanation. You know? <laughs> That's it in a nutshell, man, you know? So, yep, uh, yep. And uh, so I went to a level three, and the most funniest thing ever is that this Asian guy who didn't gangbang but ran with the Southsiders, yeah, that's a whole... Uh, as John said, it's a whole episode or movie in itself. Uh-huh. And he's like, "Hey, you want to go to college?" I'm like, "Dude, no, I don't have any like I don't have any money to go to college. I'm in prison right now. What the hell am I?" He's like, "No, you can go for free." And it's like, "All right, sure, I take some." I, so I took Spanish, then I took some business classes. Now, who who are you taking these college classes through? Uh, at the beginning of my um, college journey was a uh, Coastline Community College in okay. Fountain Valley. So how how did that work? So they're uh, correspondence classes. Okay. So they send the homework in. The, we have the books. We do that. We have the we have proctors to do our tests, and so it's just like that. But it's an accredited college. You're yeah. Working towards a degree. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so, um, but what really, really, really got me to go and search out why I went from this kid who wanted to become a lawyer, the next Johnny Cochran, in fact, to this deplorable dude this not even dude this monster you know this cancer to society i need to figure out how that i get there and how the hell do i start tearing that down and get back over to this part get back to my humanity let me let me pause right there for a second because you know i i want to just hit that description you had mentioned earlier that you were you got to the point where you're working with others, getting them to identify what was that dream. And what I just heard you say was your dream was to be that attorney, that Johnny Cochran. Yeah. So you discovered that in yourself. And you also realized that, man, like life brought you down a different path. You made some different decisions. You became that deplorable person and man, like there's a sense of self-awareness to that. And to then make the determination that you wanted to do things differently. Yeah, without a shot of a doubt. Um, I was in a class called ACP. Man, I always got a shout out my boy, Courtney Raynard, man. He was a good dude, man. Nardi, um, I always call him my first facilitator. Uh, he's still currently in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got life with the three strikes. But this guy, like, if it wasn't for him, man, he really changed my life. 
in ACP, which is Addictive uh, Addiction Counseling Program, which I later became a facilitator of as well. And um, the, the greatest thing about this class is they have this bullshit rule. They'll call you on your bullshit. You know, if you give a surface level, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna call bullshit on you. And it's like, I don't like to do that. You know, I don't wanna be the guy in the hot seat. As I told, you know, and I say it all the time, I'd rather put people in the hot seat than be in the hot seat, you know? So he asked a question at the end of class. What made what you did acceptable? So I wanted to just hear up and answer. And he's like, no, 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 go to your cell and think about it and then come back tomorrow. So I went to the cell and I'm like, all right, what made what I did acceptable? Oh, well, you know, it was a lifestyle. Nah, they gonna call bullshit on that. It was, it was either them or me, nah, that, nah, that's bullshit. I keep going through all these different reasons and then he, I just had to say it, I was selfish. Mm. And saying that out loud, man, made me cringe. I was, I was sickened with my own self, like, because now admitting that I'm selfish, that means that I never loved anybody. I didn't love my mom, like I said. I didn't love my brother, like I said. I didn't love me. I didn't love anybody, which is why I was able to become and be so deplorable. Why I can just go and shoot at people like it was nobody. Well, yeah, it's cool. You know, it's not a video game. It's not a movie. This is real life. But I didn't care because I dropped out of life. So that's what it was. And then once I said that, I was like, no. I, and I always tell people, my last murder was killing off Roscoe, which was my uh, gang moniker. Because I, I say it all the time. They'll let David out, but Roscoe must die. Mm. <laughs> and so I just gave every ounce of everything I had to just killing this dude off. You know, I had to realize what my warped beliefs were. I had to realize how warped my value system was. What old traditions am I following? You know, and I had a, um, I had a really great friend. He was a, he was a staff in Ironwood State Prison and his name was Earl Pride. And he is actually one of the people most responsible for me even being free. He wrote me a one-page chrono, which is basically a character letter. Mm -hmm. Didn't know he was gonna do it or anything. I had transferred from that prison to another prison. Before. Did, wait, this was Iowa? No, Ironwood State Oh, Ironwood prison. State, yeah. okay. And uh, when I got it, it, it touched my heart, man. I was just like, whoa. And even the commissioner, she said, you know, people come to board, and of course they're in their best behavior. Of course they say everything with, she said, but this, this chrono shows us and tells us you're this way when we can't see you. Mm. You know, and she said, this is a huge, this was a, she said, this was one of the hugest factors in us finding you suitable today. And so he always, he had a saying that I had, that he had to, Learn, no, he had, what is it? he had to learn to unlearn what he had learned in order to live. He had to unlearn everything that took him in a negative uh, direction. He had to learn to unlearn that to learn how to live. And he used to always tell us, you guys, you guys go 100% all in on the gangs and stuff. Why won't you do that for yourself? And it just, I'm just sitting in the back of the cloud like, I don't know how that could sit with you, you know, if you really do want to be better. And like that just, that just, that bothered me as well. So that was another uh, pivotal uh, moment in my life that helped me get back to um, my humanity.
Okay. Well, I'm hearing some of the things that were most instrumental in getting you to change, but I do want to step back for a minute because you mentioned Roscoe. Yeah. Right. And I'm curious about him because in my opinion, and I've had the opportunity to deal with many, many organizational gang leaders, people of great influence in those environments. And pretty much every single one of them, like, I saw within them the good and there was a desire to be able to do something positive with that influence, like overwhelming. And yet a lot of times we just can't find the path, the way to get there. So I'm always curious to hear like what that path looks like to go from Roscoe. Okay. Like how long are we talking here? And you know, what puts you like when you come into the system, you come in as Roscoe, right? Yes. And that's the identity. That's how everybody sees you. Yeah, that's the mask. And for those who don't understand, though, there's an advantage there to being Roscoe, right? Correct. Because that gives you credibility. It gives you influence. And therefore, when you make the transformation, you're given permission to others. So exactly. that's a significant part. I don't want to lose sight of that because, you know, there's a period there that that transformation has to take place where, where you begin that shift. And I don't want people to think like you just walked into prison. You were like, man, I'm going to do things, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's at the heart of it. Right. Correct. So tell me a little bit about that. How Roscoe. So Roscoe, man, I tell people all the time, cause I have him in a cage. Uh, I was just watching uh, this show called Dracula on Netflix. And uh, I kind of got him in a cage where he can't get out. You know, and I tell people all the time, I'm afraid of that dude. That dude doesn't, he does not, he doesn't care. He's, you know, uh, I used to always have this old saying that I would always tell people. I welcome aggression at the door with a dinner plate and house shoes. Like, I want that. I, I need that in my life. If you ready, if you want to do something, I invite you to, let's go, let's do it. You know, and, I've, and, and show people just how much, even even with all the self-help classes, the traces are there. You know, it's moments, I'm a big Marvel fan, you know, it's moments when like uh, Carnage or Venom, when the, you know, it would just kind of like come out a little bit and he, you know, kind of go back to normal. And it's like, I was going to board, I was going to parole board. A week before I was going to parole board, I was on the basketball court playing with somebody, playing basketball, and a dude was like, I got crossed over real bad. It was it was ugly. I knew it was gonna happen. A dude I was guarding is my buddy Payne, and he's wicked fast. And I really didn't have any business sticking him, but I had to. Uh, he lost somebody else, so kind of had to. And so another dude's laughing. Ah! I'm like, all right, bro, all right. Ah! I'm like, man, you you know, shut up, bro. You're doing too much. Ah! Dude, you sound like a bitch. And he was just like. Uh oh. You better watch your mouth, like, or what? What you gonna do? But it was in that moment that he didn't see me as David. He saw Roscoe, and he didn't do nothing. And I'm not saying that as a brag, like, yeah, that's how tough I was. But I'm saying that it's like, you can still don't like just always kind of try to stay on your square. Always be like uh, mindful of your surroundings because. In that moment, I could have threw away my whole everything that I was working for, just for that one slip. 
that one time he just kind of stuck his head up a little bit, you know? I hear exactly what you're saying. Um, and I would agree, like, it's such a fine line, especially when you're living within those environments. You live in a fishbowl, right? Everybody knows, every, everybody sees everything. And to maintain your credibility and your influence, it's a fine line to walk, right? Yes. So sometimes... You got to kind of, you got to remind people sometimes. Yeah, you got to remind people that that's still there, that it's a choice. Don't, yeah, it's a exactly. Decision to live a certain way. And I think that's necessary, right? Like yes. that keeps the natural order of things. Yeah. And I think people, people need to see that. And, and we need to just literally acknowledge that it's there, man. It's not a bad thing. Right. It's kind of, and it's like, you know, because uh, I don't want to glance over because I do want to talk about Roscoe. So this Roscoe was a dude who he wanted to be, I would just say, like, I don't want to be from the hood. I want when people when people talk about the hood, they bring me up. Like, yeah, oh, Raymond Cripp. Oh, man, what's up, my boy Roscoe? Like, I wanted to be that dude. I wanted to be with, in, in Los Angeles gang culture. They call it a household name mm -hmm. where people just, oh, yeah, that's. And so I was always fighting, always, you know, politicking, which is basically being messy and being in other people's business and trying to dictate other people's lives because you don't you really don't have control over your own life that much. So, you know, we always get together. Yeah, man, what's up? With I heard you owe some money. Yeah, man, we, you know, whole bunch of that, you know, but they call it politicking, you know. Uh, so that's what I was always about. I just, you know, I wanted to be involved in anything and everything because I wanted to be that guy. I wanted some people, oh, yeah. You know, I always was, I always had an influential voice wherever I went. You know, uh, either I was, you know, giving out rules or I was the one helping enforce the rules. You know, I was always at the round table. And uh, to me, that was important because I knew how much time I was looking at. I knew what could happen. So I'm like, if I'm going to have to do all this time, I want to be able to do it in a comfortable manner. You know, you see the dudes who didn't put in all that work when they come in off the top, people are breaking them off. Whatever it is they got, they selling weed. Hey, man, here I... Bought you a couple of sticks, man. Here's, you know, get, go ahead and get acclimated. Oh, good looking. Like, I, I wanted to be that same dude, too. When dudes hit for stuff, I wanted to do to just walk, hey, man, here. Or, you know, you're sitting there talking to a guy, and they be like, hey, uh, you smoke cigarettes? You're like, yeah. Like, hey, I got, come by later. I got some bugle for you. Like, oh, okay, for sure. Good looking out. And uh, so that's who Roscoe was. And so he didn't care what he had to do to get to that level. But, in hindsight, it was it was pretty much, it was like a negative blessing. And I know that's an oxymoron. But the reason why I said it is because, because of the respect that Roscoe had when it was time to trans, transform and get back to David, I, did, I was able to do it in peace. And I was able to always be able to talk to dudes who were quote-unquote reptiles. You know, I can be in a class and I can basically call somebody out and it's just like, man, all right, homie. You know, like, hey, man, hey, excuse me, you guys want to fill us in on what you're talking about? Hey, my bad, my bad. All right, come on. And he like, what was even more like? I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause that for just a second. No problem. Because for for those who are watching this that aren't gonna understand what you're talking about, what what I very clearly understand is the level of respect that you had allowed you to say certain things and to carry yourself. And to confront people in 
in a way, like in that classroom setting, like, hey, man, I'm serious. Like, I need you to pay attention where most guys can't do that. At all. And uh, the guy, man, you know, the guy who was uh, running CGA, which is Criminal Gang Anonymous, he's actually free, man. He's a good buddy of mine. Uh, his name is Silas, Robert Silas. And um, that's kind of how he picked. Like, he picked, uh, well, himself because he had, you know, respect amongst his uh, people. He's a Southsider. Uh, he had certain, and he, he was like, with the blacks, you know, you kind of don't know. He's like, so they kind of try to, hey, what's this guy's reputation? Because they was like, we need somebody who can keep that race in check because it's the main line, you know. But I had so much respect. And uh, a lot, and then, you know, first, a lot of it came from my gang lifestyle. And then a lot of it came from dudes realizing that here was a dude that's really down and is doing everything to change. And I started having influence with, like, the Southsiders, the whites. You know, I even did a thing to where I stopped calling guys by their last name in groups and everybody had to go by their first name. And even on the yard, we would call each other by our first names. And I remember uh, this Southsider came up to me and said, man... You know you you're responsible for that, right? <laughs> I said, what? He said, look, you got homies out here calling each other Carlos and you know Victor and Ricardo. He's like, you know these dudes By are the really government. yeah. He's like these guys are really influential. Yeah. He's like, and they respect you that like that much. And uh, Spivey, and I was like, no, nah, no problem. And um, you know, I remember I didn't know this guy even had like was very influential, but I like. Just stayed on him in group one day, like so hard till he finally gave me a substantial answer. You know, that's why he carried a gun. And he's like, oh, you know, lifestyle. And I was like, nope, dig deeper. He said, so, nope, dig deeper. Nope, dig deeper. And I could tell I'm really pissing them off because, number one, uh, for those who don't know, no race likes another race talking to him, but this, the Hispanics and white boys really hate for black people to be trying to like check him or saying something to him. And it's really vice versa. Like, we all can't stand each other. So I can see this, like, this freaking black dude. I'm like, nope, dig deeper. Dig deeper. And then he finally says, it made me feel powerful. I said, that's what I'm talking about. And you can see, like, the others, like, Hispanics kind of like, everybody's kind of like on edge. And, and he goes, and they go like. And from that moment, I just was like, I, that was just my, like, I was, like, very aggressive. You know, um, I took the aggressiveness from the gangs and I put it inside the group. And I just, that's how I taught. I was just very aggressive with people. And people, the, everybody who took it serious, they're all home. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, one guy, I call him Mr. Insight, man, Sergio. And this guy went to jail for a double attempted murder on the police. He has cop killer tattoo on his neck. Wow. He's free. Really? He's doing extremely well. Just how, had a baby. How did he get out? Bored. Because that's a tough exactly. One. That's a that's a tough exactly. One <laughs> but when you have the insight, when you when mm. when your when your behavior matches your your words, because mm -hmm. I always tell people, you you write how you think. In uh, in California prisons, you have to write a lot of insight papers. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, you write the way you think, change the way you think, change the way you write. You know, stop just thinking about BS and then you're trying to write some good stuff. You got to change everything. That's where it starts. Change those thoughts. You'll change those urges. You'll change those feelings. And then you'll change those actions. I love that, man. I love that. And I, I got to applaud you because first and foremost, it takes a lot of courage 
to step out there and to to be honest with yourself, you know, to acknowledge responsibility for everything in your life that has led you to where you are. That's a tough thing to do in prison, right? It is. Be like, damn, okay. So I made all these mistakes, regardless of anybody else who told on me, other circumstances, the cops, the DAs, like regardless of all that, like I did this. Mm -hmm. That's the first part. The second part, which I'm really, so many of the things that I'm hearing, like I follow, I hope everybody else hearing this can really follow and understand the level of courage and mental fortitude that it took for you to, to be able to help others transform their lives, to do it from that position where those are some tough conversations to have. And when people push back to keep pushing them, because you want to see that best come out of them. Man, that's tough to do that in that environment. I understand that. I hope everybody else has a full appreciation for what you've done. And I, if that doesn't demonstrate it, that you have a former cop killer blasted on him, was clearly proud of that at one time, gets granted parole, you know, that's that's like, man, that's the ultimate example right there of how impactful what you were doing, how impactful your influence was in helping others transform their lives. Amazing. Yeah, man, because like, I took it serious. You know, like, I would tell dudes, like, I even started my own group, right, Communication of Freedom. And so I, and the beauty of me starting my own group, it wasn't for, like, the accolades of, like, oh, I started my own group. So uh, in California, they started doing these rec credits, Rehabilitation Achievement Credits. So now it went from, you know, we put who we want in the groups to the community resource manager putting whoever in the group. Mm. So now here it is. You got a room or a class that guys with life desperately need and used to be all lifers. Now 25% is guys with two with half and three with 85. And, and they're not there to find out who they are and how to get better. They're there for rat credits. You know, get enough of them, they get 15 days off their sentence or seven days. So they just sit. But see, that's the beauty of being Roscoe because I made those guys participate. You know, one of the guys from a rival neighborhood, a neighborhood that we hate them, they hate us, he just hit me up on Instagram was like, yo, big bro, I'm home. Man, I remember the push. I remember everything you taught. And this is a guy who at one point in his life, he swore an allegiance to kill me. Yeah. And I swore an allegiance to kill him, but when he met me, my bullets didn't have hate in them anymore. Mm -hmm. They had future in them. See, I now was shooting at people's hearts to get them to change. You know what I mean? I wanted them to see, hey, look, brother, all this that you've done for this neighborhood, you can do this for yourself. You can invest that much in yourself, and then sky's the limits. Because, see, I knew that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And so I use the classrooms as my gyms. You know, I used to tell people all the time, if you're going to brick, brick in the gym. If you're going to overthrow the, the, the runner, do it on the practice field. If you're going to strike out, do it at batting practice. That way when the big game comes and everybody's counting on you, you exceed expectations. And that's how you do it.
Love that, man. So you were able to use that as your training ground as well. Yeah. While you not only transformed yourself, you're helping others transform their lives. And I heard you just say that part of that vision, I'm sure there's a big vision that you created while you were inside because we got a lot of time to, to think. And it sounds like you were very intentional about what you wanted. So tell me what that vision looked like. And then when you get that stamp of bam you're being paroled man you're out and then what happens so that vision like that vision that i created i saw i see myself and i still play the vision i see myself still, selling out these big arenas people coming to hear me talk me being able to pierce their hearts and get them to be their best selves mm -hmm. you know i always say my goal is because my goal is to, is to change a billion lives but I can't. I know for a fact I can't do that at one time. So I just want to change one person at a time, and then give them enough tools and skills, and allow them to help somebody else change their lives. And then the billion will be reached because then it'll be a chain. It'll be a chain effect. It just keep going and keep going and keep going. That's my ultimate goal. You know, I want to be able to go and look at a little young man or a young woman, and tell them that everything they heard up to this point has been a lie. You're not what they're saying. You are so much more. Mm. Like, I want to let them know that they have so much greatness in them. And it is not attached to where they are, what they used to be into, or what they even are in. Because these are things you do. We all used to play freeze tag as kids. You know, it, right now, if we just got a game of freeze tag going, it'd probably be fun, but if other people just watched it, they'd be like, those guys are weird. And, the, and then you ask, why is that weird? Because that's some kid stuff. Why? So that's stuff you used to do. So we constantly change. So I don't want people to get so caught up in what they're doing. But go and look at where am I going to go? Because we do things every single day that's not who we are. So what was that vision for you while you were in there? What did you decide that you wanted to do on the other side? As far as uh, while I was behind the wall? Yeah. I just wanted to get dudes, because I figured like this, if everybody focused on going home, Dudes won't have too much time to focus on being in jail and riots and this and that. Mm -hmm. Because, see, I was playing chess. I realized, okay, if riots happen, I'm going to have to be involved in these riots. That's going to lessen my chances of going home as well. Mm -hmm. Why not bring peace? Why not get guys to get comfortable enough to be called by their real names, to sit outside with a black dude? And one of the most things that touched my heart the most, I remember the skinhead. Big, country-fed white boy. Like, I need the audience to close their eyes and think of, like, any stereotypical movie you've seen with a big white boy with a bald head and a slingshot on. That was him. And this guy had the boot tattooed on his head, which was influential. And he comes to me and says, man, Spivey, you made me a better man. Mm. And my chills ran through my body because I felt that was my stamp of approval that this guy, with all his racist ideology, walks up to a black guy and tells him something like that. And it was, it kind of lit me even further. It was like, okay, I felt like that was rocket fuel put into the car. Now I can't go 70 miles, I'm only going 700. You know, so I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And um, you know, they say in order to keep what you have, you gotta give it away. Mm, absolutely. So I knew that it was a possibility that I was going, I, that was my vision, I, gotta, I'm, I will go home. 
And I, I was telling John yesterday, I said, when I started changing my life, it wasn't within, well, they, all right, I'm going to do all this stuff so I can go home. Because if I would have done that, I would not be home. Because that means I would have been, it would have been shallow. It would have been surface level change. You know? Yeah. And even if I would have been smart enough to trick the board, eventually, like at the circus, even the clowns had to take off the paint, I would have fell back into old habits. Yep. Right? And so I used to prepare myself. When you come home, everybody can pretend like they missed you. They loved you. They're so happy you're home. And sure enough, as water is wet, <laughs> get phone calls. Oh, cuz, what's up? You? I'm like, you know, I almost got so I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, these punks didn't miss me. <laughs> they knew exactly where the hell I was at. You guys even know the system. Yeah. I didn't get no money from nobody. I never got a I didn't get getting J-Pays from you guys. That's how they send money electronically, folks. Um, so... And if you have a loved one, send them a JPEG. They'll they'll love you even more for it. Oh yeah, yeah. doesn't even doesn't even need to be much. It doesn't need, no. Send them twenty dollars, and I bet you get a letter or a card. Yep. And uh, because guys in jail are notorious for going to get a card made. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like five dollars for a card is a lot of money in jail, yeah. and it's gonna be a really good card. So support the hustle. Yeah, they'll eat fifteen, and they'll they'll help somebody else stay alive with the other five. That's right. And uh, so. That's just what it was, man, you know, and um, I just kept saying, like, okay, I have to change because I can't live with myself no more. Mm-hmm. You know, with the death of my mom, the death of my brother, I'm like, yo, I'm responsible for making somebody's family feel this exact same way. I'm responsible when the mom cooks one extra portion more than she needs to. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for the breakdowns when they hear their favorite song. Or they smell a scent that reminds them of their lost one. I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for anybody who didn't get to enjoy their full childhood because I made the neighborhood unsafe. You know, I'm responsible for the employee that got fired because I used to steal out the store and now the owner couldn't afford to pay them and stay. I'm responsible for all this stuff. I'm responsible for the guys that I recruited into the gang and who haven't changed their lives and then all the people that they victimized. So I have a lot to do. And a lot, a lot of um, righteous living to do in order to try to make up for. Because I know I'll never be able to unwrite a lot of my wrongs, but I just want to live in honor of all my victims. Mm, well put, man. Well put. So you come in, and there were some, you know, your own traumatic events that helped instigate this change. That was what 2010. 20, 2010 is uh, when I got sentenced. Twenty eleven is my mother's passing. Mm. 2012, my brother passed. Okay. That's a lot in a very short period of time. And for those who don't know, if you've never been in prison, man, living in that environment, like one month is a long time. One year can seem like forever. And when you start racking up those years, man, that's a lot of time. And especially when you got it hanging over your head. So you had how much time were you sentenced to? Uh, So originally with 100 years to life. Wait, 100 years. To life. See, we left that part out. <laughs> We're gonna have to put that in the put that in the tagline there, because a uh, hundred years to life. It ended up getting reduced all the way down to fifty-eight years to life, but oh, just just fifty. It's nothing years. after yeah. that, you know. Just walk in the park. So uh, through all this uh, rehabilitation, mm-hmm. I even had uh, I got resentenced once. That's how it ended up to the fifty-eight years to life, and the district attorney's office commended me on my exemplary efforts of rehabilitation. Wow. 
And so for, for anybody that doesn't know, that's to get major a DA to weigh in positively on your behalf. Like that don't ever happen. It's kind of like against the religion. Yeah, it, there you go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when I saw that, I remember before uh, they, you know, resentenced me, um, my district attorney, cause I was prosecuted by the hardcore gang division. And so Alison Otrowski, man, she was a pit bull in a skirt, like, Shout out to her for getting me off the streets during those times because, yeah, I was a bad guy. And um, so I come back down. She goes, before you resentence the district attorney, I'd like to go on record and commend Mr. And that's another thing that's really big. She was the same one? Yes. Wow, really? And, yeah, so she went on record because she could have just said that after the record was closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, we would like to go on record and commend Mr. Spivey his exemplary efforts at, re- at self-rehabilitation. And so... Um, I Damn, went. how did you catch their attention? Because to me, like, you told me about the letter. Like, they had to have heard more. Like, they had to have more insights because you don't get a DA to stand up and especially go on the record in support of you getting less time, of a judge reducing your sentence. So what was getting back to them? So um, that time when I came down, I had a bunch of... Uh, my uh, certificates and stuff uh, mailed in as far as character reference okay. to show the judge what I was doing. And then also I went to school because uh, I had a GED, but I, they had they were doing a high school diploma. And so I was like, well, let me go get that. And so if I could have stayed in the county jail one more week, I would have had a high school diploma too. And so like I used to be just doing homework. And what was so cool about it is I remember one of my homeboys said, he said, hey, cause you know you're trending. I said, why you say that? He's like, you know, you got these dudes doing homework. These mugs don't That's ever right. do nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I looked around, and dudes really was in there doing homework. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, I remember uh, the the uh, South Sider who had the dorm, I remember he was like, hey, man, you're really smart. He's like, I like that. He was like, you need anything, let me know, bro. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, I remember they had wine. I was like, yeah, let me get some of that wine. <laughs> 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 I need to do halftime today. And so uh, he's like, no problem. But, uh, yeah, I was going to school. Uh, the teachers that were, uh, they were all like, I remember one of the teachers was like, hey, Spidey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what are you in jail for? Mm-hmm. And I was like, murder? She's like, she's like, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just shocked because that's the last thing I thought. She's like, I thought maybe you were, like, paying tickets off or something. Like, She's like, you're too smart and I was like, yeah, but I was also real stupid, you know? I would say even more than the, than the smart. You, allowing your intelligence to show is part of it, but I like what you said earlier. You know, it's, it's deeper. It's your character. When your actions, you know, are different, when your thoughts and your actions are aligned, that level of integrity, man, people notice that. And clearly, you had a lot of people who were attracted to what you were putting out who chose to get behind you and considering, you know, anytime we're talking about violent offenses, cop killer, a homicide, anything that's violent, man, to get somebody to, to, to back you, that's really, really difficult. So, uh, again, it speaks to what you were putting out, the significance of it that other people took notice. You get this time knocked down. You go to court. What year is this? You get so, this was 2000 and I think... 16? 16, So okay. this was like a little, it, 
Because it was a 15-year life sentence. They reversed it to three years uh, and five years enhancement. So it was eight years. So for the first-degree murder, it was 25 life for the murder, 25 life for the gun. And then now the eight years, because the 35 years of life for conspiracy to commit murder was stay. And then the attempted murder charge was I was found not guilty of. And so... You know, uh, I go back to prison. Then they come up with this Franklin uh, case. And uh, so basically it's where you get to set the record for an upcoming youth offender hearing. And for me, it would have been like in 13 years. So I go down, set the record. We do all that, but I come back. And new uh, uh, Jerry Brown, Governor Jerry Brown, the governor of California, was mm-hmm. get, um, commuting people's sentences. And it was so funny because I told a buddy of mine, we were looking in the paper, I said, next year my name's going to be in there. You know, because I'm really big on manifesting. I'm like, next year my name's going to be in there. And he's like, you think so? I said, no, I know so. So I go back, my two buddies uh, who are both uh, free as well, one had 50 years of life, the other had 31 years. We all got our sentence commuted. So I come back and they're like, yo, did you put in your commutation? Did you file for it? I'm like, no. They're like, man, you got to. I'm like, damn, are you guys going to two on one me or something like that? Like, so that's jumping in uh, prison terms. So they're like, man, you got to do it, bro. I'm like, all right. So I ended up getting transferred from a, D, a C yard back to D yard. And so I wrote the governor's office, you know, I'd ask for an uh, application. And I got it back, you know. Then. I filled it out. It took me maybe about a month to put that together. <laughs> Sent it out. Next thing you know, I got uh, interviewed by uh, an investigator for the uh, parole board. So now you wait for the next step, whether they're going to commute it or not. And that was so freaking stressful. And uh, just a just a little bit on the line there. Right? Yeah, right. Like you know, Eagles going to the Super Bowl if this happens, like. No, my freaking life, you know what I mean? So i never forget, um, I, and it's like kind of a sad part, but like not sad now because I'm free and I'm not with her. But uh, this girl that I was talking to, she was supposed to come visit me, and but she lied. You know, yeah. Can y'all believe her, ladies? Like, so I was like, I was in the room and I was like, man, God, I just need some good news. And I remember having a dream and in my dream, I was playing chess with this uh, Filipino uh, cat that I used to uh, go to groups with, Edwin, and they tell me my sentence is commuted. Fast forward to that day, because I had that dream like two and a half weeks prior. I'm in the day room, playing chess with Edwin. My door opens up. So I look, I'm see, what the hell is my door getting popped for? And then um, the tower cop, he's like, Hey, Spivey, I'm like, he's like, come here. And so there was another guy named uh, Abel who had got his sentence community. So he told me how it happened, that they told, called him, said program. And uh, so I kind of knew what, like, if it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, uh, 12 o'clock? And I was like, program office? He's like, yeah. I was like, he's like, dude, calm down. I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, what, what is it? And he's like, yeah, you got to meet at 12. I was like. Yeah, I know. And so I go. Um, now, now, what time is this? This is uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, man, you had four hours. Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> shaking like like I need caffeine and yeah, yeah. sugar and everything else. So I'm just like, oh, gosh. And I'm like, I tell him, like, yo, 
they just give me the, my sentence, bro. He's like, are you? I'm like, I got to go get the official news at 12. So he's like, what the? So, you know, they pop my door. I run. <laughs> you know, yeah. for people who don't know, when they call you to the program office, it's not usually good news. It's usually you've gotten a write-up. You're going to get some more time added on, or you're going to get some privilege taken away. So dudes usually walk to the program office very, very slow. But on this day... I was like Sonic the freaking Hedgehog. I, was, I probably made record history as the fastest inmate ever to go to the program office. So I knock on the door and I step back, and dudes are like going to visit. Hey, hey, what's what's going on? I'm like, um, I think they got to uh, commute my sentence. They're like, what? Okay, Spivey, that's what's up. And it was around Christmas time. Oh man. So now I'm kind of trending inside the um, the visiting room. Everybody, <laughs> hey man, Spivey's. I, when I left, he was uh, standing outside. At the program office, man, he don't know. We, then another, hey, hey, you got to say this commuted. And these are like, these are Southsiders telling me, like, yeah, you yeah. know, they're all happy for me and stuff like that. I'll never forget that, man. It was just like, but the day when they told me after I got uh, found suitable for parole, they told me I was going home. Yeah. I let out a scream that was so loud that the captain told me, dude, I almost laid the yard down because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going home. He was like, hey, was that you screaming like that? I was like, yeah. He's like, dude. He said, I he said, I was all the way over there. He said, I heard it. He said, I was so he said, I almost hit the button and freaking just laid it. He said, just because that's I didn't know what the hell that was. Yeah, people aren't used to hearing yeah. that. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, cool. And but people, yeah. people in prison don't ever have reason to get that excited. Right? right. Right. Yeah, there's never a reason that good. Yeah. So for me, it was just like all the hard work, all the shots, mm -hmm. and the, you know, like like Kobe said, like you know, just just all them hours in the gym, just shooting into your wrist, tired, just you know, staying up to four o'clock in the morning, going over self help, going over my triggers, going over the warning signs that show that I'm about to get angry, you know, understanding what what situations could put me back in the uh, relapse. All that stuff was just like. It was really, really hard work. And a lot of times when you when you get on that path in prison, it's a lonely path because most guys um, lack the courage to want to step outside. Not saying that they're mm -hmm. cowards, but just the courage to be, stand alone, you know. Yep. And that's like the biggest – one of the biggest things about peer pressure is the psychological, you know, aspirations of it <laughs> or aspects, I should say, of, of it because it's like – you might not be afraid of people or jump on you, but you're afraid of people not want to talk to you again. You know, you're afraid of people making yep. jokes about you. You're afraid of the dude that you've been walking on the yard with 15 years if he's going to speak to you tomorrow and how bad that's going to hurt, you know? So I understand, and that's that warped way of thinking because I went through it, my buddies went through it, and when you get on the right path, it may be lonely, but eventually you'll find people that are on that same path. Well, I guarantee you there are still individuals inside. We're talking about Spivey, right? Yeah, we uh, we actually went and did. We actually went back inside of Ironwood State Prison and uh, talked to uh, the fellas and seeing so many old dudes. It was kind of it was like it was heartbreaking though, because it's like I now know what it feels like to walk out of here mm. free, you know. And I know that right now that if something happens. A, I'm definitely don't. I'm not involved in it. And two, we'll be escorted out of here, you know. And uh, mm. but for me, and I, and that it's like, I, I believe it was a uh, Robert Kiyosaki that says, 
when you do your uh, your goals, put a little bit of revenge in there. And so seeing these COs, you know, who used to just make all these little brass remarks, you know, uh, yeah, man, you know that, you know, you they say some stuff that. Uh, but seeing their faces, and they're just like, like I remember once he was like, Spivey? I was like, what's up with you, my boy? <laughs> you know? And uh, he's like, what the? I was like, I told you I was going to get free. He's like, yeah, I know, but I didn't believe you. I mm. said, yeah, and you the one still in prison. Mm. And he just looked at me like, and he gave me a look like, you ain't never lied. Because a lot of people don't know that either. Like, guards do as much time as... We do because you have to stop living like you have to stop living life like a civilian. Yep. You have to, even though they're not quote unquote cops, they have to, they're prison cops. And then they have to start having a different mind. You can't be giving people the benefit of the doubt. And you think like that for so long, you're going to just become an asshole. And, you know, you, here it is. You want, you're, you're angry at life because this is, you're always in prison. And you see an inmate walking around, they see me and you walking around laughing and stuff, cracking jokes. It's just like, hell, you guys smiling. Right. And I'm over here freaking frowning since I walked through the door. You know, so seeing there, that was like, that was, that was my, that was the best, that was one of my best uh, revenges. That's, that's a big win. That's a big win getting to go back in there. And I have no doubt, you know, that you were a, a huge inspiration to all of those others who knew you that story got shared with others and who knows how far that influence spreads. Like you said, you're shooting for that 1 billion. So that's a big part of it. And I guarantee that many of those officers too, you know, have had to take a second, second look at themselves and reassess, you know, how they're looking at individuals in there and hopefully that positively impacts them. So since you've been out, I mean, you had an incredible journey on the inside, you get this release, I mean, you express that with a scream. Yeah, man. Hit the ground running. Tell us where you are now. What are you doing? So right now I'm working in a, a mental hospital. Okay. So in the BHU, uh, I'm a mental health worker. Um, going to school to uh, become a nurse. Just because I have a, a deep uh, passion and empathy for people, especially like those with mental health issues. Okay. You know, because... Um, it's very gut-wrenching to see a person have to repeat life over and over of the worst moment of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the only way that you can deal with those uh, individuals is through, like, a great deal of love and compassion and empathy. And so that kind of inspired me to go back to school. But I'm also just, um, I'm like I said, my my end goal is to be a, a paid motivator. Like, I want to, I've manifested to be, like, a, with the top guys when it comes to speaking. Uh, so that's my ultimate goal. Uh, I have a YouTube channel where I live stream and then make videos. Plug it, plug it, It's plug called it. Real Recognized Real Podcast. Um, but that's because I, I had to change it, spell it out more. But if you go on uh, YouTube and type in triple, T-R-I-P-P-L-E, space R, space podcast, you can see this face pop right up. Go ahead and subscribe. Get the notification bell. I guarantee you go look at some of the old content. It's relevant today as, as it will be in 100 years from now. Um, and then I also have, I've, I've started developing a clothing line called Stay Great Above Hate. All right. It's an anti-bullying clothing brand. It's, it's dedicated uh, for anybody who's ever been bullied and not just the, the traditional form of, of bullying, but anybody who's been bullied by the system, 
based on socioeconomical status, uh, uh, gender identity, sexual identity, whatever it is. If somebody's discriminated against you, this this brand is for you. It's called Stay Great Above Hate. Um, we're on Instagram, Stay Great Above Hate uh, underscore clothing. Uh, that's what I'm doing. My end goal, man, I want to be able to, like I said, I want to help. So I'll, I've always said that, and because Jay-Z is like one of the guys that I look up to. And so I look at like, you can do a lot of stuff for people, like the more you have, you know, because I always say, you know, you tell kids a lot of times, oh, you should stop gangbanging or you should stop selling drugs. Okay, what should I do? What am I going to do now? And so, like, my goal is to, like, get this clothing line off the ground, um, get very influential with my speaking career, um, open up my own, like, academy, and train young men and young women how to be proper. And what I mean by proper is how to throw away warped beliefs in order to live a better life, a much more productive life, you know. And so that's why I network my ass off because I want to be able to say, like, hey, let me call... Let me call John. Let me call one of my buddies. Hey, I got this guy, man. I remember you said you needed somebody with this. This guy's perfect. Hey, let me call, you know. And that's how you change the world, man. Is Because these kids, they have all this energy, but they have nothing to express it. That's the tagging on the wall. Like I tell people all the time, like, dude, if you do that in the creative space, you can sell it. That's right. It's not destroying property then. Mm-hmm. You know, people who sell drugs. That means you're good at sales. You know, how about you stop before you get a, a, a record, become a pharmaceutical salesperson, you know, or whatever it may be. Yep, yep. You know, if you like to argue a lot, law school's for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know attorneys love to argue, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it's all about, dude. Find your gifts. Clearly, you have found your gift. You're already impacting countless lives i have no doubt you're going to continue on that trajectory however we can support you man it's been a pleasure getting to know you but this is just the beginning whatever i can do however gritability can help get that message out there listen click that subscribe button go on there follow all this will be up in the in the notes man make sure you follow david spivey Spivey jr jr the third Spivey, like Spidey, get out there, follow him, and listen, whatever we can do to promote you and help you get to that platform of impacting a billion lives, man, we're here for you. I appreciate you for coming in. I appreciate this. It's been another incredible episode of Gritability, Power of Perseverance. You're seeing it right here, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. Appreciate all you guys. We'll see you right back here on the next episode. Man, listen, I could have kept talking for another hour because I got questions.